All right, brothers and sisters, it's time to take out our Bibles together. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our text today begins in verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to look at one with me. Uh, There's Bibles on the pew in front of you. Uh, I think you'll benefit most by looking at the text with us as we go through it. We'll be referring back to it time and time again. Today's text is on our bodies. We're going to be talking about the human body today. The human body is simultaneously a blessing and a curse, is it not? It's the the crown of God's creation on the one hand. It is the most complex and astounding of all of His works. And yet, it is beset with weaknesses, imperfections, and sinful desires. We all probably have a love-hate relationship with our bodies. Unless you're like 16. And then, congratulations. But for the rest of us, we have a love-hate relationship with our bodies. There are times when we appreciate it and enjoy it. And then there are times where we feel like it betrays us or fails us. The older we get, the more we wish it looked different. The more we wish it acted different. And we all know too well the ways that sin has twisted our God-given desires. And now, in a number of ways, those desires cause us pain, both physical and emotional. There's been a philosophy around for a very, very, very long time called dualism. The philosophy of dualism, held by so many throughout the years, most notably, probably, Plato. And this philosophy says that in this world... Spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. Everything physical is bad, and the spiritual is good. And so, according to this philosophy, our souls are good, but our bodies are bad. Our ultimate goal is to free our soul from this shell and its carnal desires so that we can be a pure spirit. But this dualism is not the message we find in Scripture. It's not the way God created the world, nor will it be the way that we spend eternity. Let's look at our text today. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, down to verse 49. And so this is God's word from the Apostle Paul, where he writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. 
The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So you, you see from our text today, we're not just talking about bodies in general. We're talking about the resurrection body today. What will our bodies be like during the resurrection? Right? Jesus has been resurrected, but as we have seen in 1 Corinthians 15, all of us will be resurrected in the end. When Jesus returns, there will be a resurrection of all people. What will our bodies be like in the resurrection? Now, I want you to notice in the first couple verses, in the first couple verses, how Paul says something that could be a little bit confusing here. At first, he says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then he says, you foolish person. Now, when I used to read this, I would think, why is it so foolish to ask that question? Why is Paul calling this hypothetical person Why is Paul calling it foolish to ask those questions? I mean, they're legitimate questions. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? What's wrong with asking those questions? Well, it's helpful to understand he's actually referring here to those who are claiming that there is no resurrection. Remember the context. There were people who were claiming there is no resurrection. There will be no resurrection. And so their questions are not coming from a sincere heart. Their questions are something like, how in the world will dead corpses be raised? Right? And then if Paul somehow says dead corpses are going to be raised, well, what kind of body will they have then? Will it be a, a gross and decaying body? Will, will gross and decaying bodies be walking around? It's going to be really weird. What about, what about people who were dismembered before they were put in the ground? What about people who were burned? Come on, Paul. Really, you've got to understand there's going to be no resurrection. See, that that makes a lot more sense when you understand Paul is speaking to people who are not asking these questions out of a sincere heart. What kind of bodies will we have? He's speaking to people who are asking questions trying to disprove the resurrection. There's not going to be a resurrection. And Paul says, no, no, no. There's going to be a resurrection of all people. These people would have thought, this is impossible, right? When you bury something, it stays buried, right? When you bury something, it stays buried. There's no resurrection. You bury something, it stays in the ground. And Paul says, not so fast. Even those of us who don't believe in Jesus' resurrection or the resurrection of all people, all of us see all the time things that are put in the ground and don't stay buried. Notice how he talks about seeds. He talks about seeds, specifically In verse 36, he starts this language, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. And then he talks about seed, each kind of seed having its own body in verse 38. What do we do with seeds? Just normal everyday seeds. What do we do with seeds? we, We bury them under the ground. And then what happens? Life. Life comes up from under the ground. Paul Paul is saying to these people, you see this all the time in everyday life. You bury something and it comes back up from under the ground. 
This happens all the time. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Don't miss this lesson from Paul. Don't miss this lesson about seeds. Have you ever been fascinated about the way a plant or a tree can come out of a seed? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? If you haven't, you should. Right? Think about the fact that a plant or a tree can come out of a seed. What in the world is that? How does that happen? Can any of you explain it to me, really? None of us have any clue how that happens, how it really works. Have you ever just stopped and been in awe of it and been fascinated by it? In the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, we read of a 17th century French monk named Brother Lawrence and his relationship with the Lord, his desire to practice every day, every moment, the presence of the Lord. Well, one of his friends in that book, in a portion of it, writes of how he first came to faith in God, and it says, He told me that it had all happened one winter day as he was looking at a barren tree. Although the tree's leaves were indeed gone, he knew that they would soon reappear, followed by blossoms and then fruit. And this gave him a profound impression of God's providence and power, which never left him. Staring at a dead tree and thinking, in in just a few short months, there's going to be life right there. And God's going to do it. And God's going to keep doing it season after season. Have you ever been just fascinated at plants and life, how we put a seed under the ground and then something springs up from inside of it. Don't miss this. God made seeds act like that because of the resurrection. God made seeds, things that we deal with every day, all the time. He made them like this on purpose because of the resurrection. He did it purposely from the beginning. It is not as though Paul or Jesus was looking around for an illustration for the resurrection and then thought, oh, seeds, that's a good illustration, we'll use that one. No, it's deeper than that. From the very beginning, God purposely made seeds act this way because he knew what he would do with Jesus. And he knew what he would do with all of us in the end. God does this actually with all kinds of things in his world. There are all kinds of things in this world that if you pay attention were created to tell us the story of something else. The way that those things in the world act and the way that we deal with them, they're telling us a spiritual story and God made them that way on purpose so that this spiritual lesson could get out. Just think of all the ways the Bible that shows us that this is so. All the natural things in this world that God has made that are teaching us spiritual lessons. Just the things in the Bible. In the Bible we see the sun, the sky, grass, rain, rainbows... Mustard seeds, mountains, sheep, birds, flowers, ants, coals, coins, trees, fields, salt, light, gates, doors, bread, blood. They are all teaching us spiritual lessons about God if we only have the eyes to see. In Psalm 19.1 we read this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's true of all of creation. Creation is talking to us. 
if we are listening. Creation is showing us spiritual lessons about God and about Christ and about the way that God made this world if only we have eyes to see. Romans 1.20 says, For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. And so we are without excuse. Psalm 111 verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Amen to that. Seeds, brothers and sisters, seeds teach us that it is actually quite natural for something to be buried, to die, and then to produce life. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying to these people who don't believe in the resurrection, you see this all the time. It's as natural as can be. You bury something, it dies, it produces life from under the ground. If we see God do this all the time with seeds, why is it so hard to believe that He can do it with our physical bodies? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater, you see. From the lesser to the greater. Now, I understand how people who were not raised in church, who were not surrounded by faith as they grew up, I understand how the resurrection of Jesus can be a kind of leap for them to accept. I understand that. I understand how our resurrection at the end of time can be kind of a a leap to accept. I understand that. There are many miracles in the Bible that are hard to fathom. This is understandable, especially for those who have not had this just indoctrinated into them from a very early age. But if you can accept the first verse in the Bible, all the rest is easy. If you can accept the first verse in the Bible, it's easy to believe the rest. What's the first verse? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God can make the universe out of nothing, if God can make the entire universe out of nothing, there's nothing He can't do. There's just absolutely nothing He can't do. That God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants it. And so it is not a leap at all to go from Genesis 1-1 to the resurrection. God can do whatever He wants in His world and His creation. If Genesis 1-1 is true, it's easy to believe the rest. And so seeds, Paul tells us here, seeds point us to the resurrection. If God can do it with seeds, He can do it with us. And so the next time you plant a seed, or the next time you see a little green sprout come up from the ground, from something that you have planted, stop for a moment and imagine what it's going to be like when God does that with all of us. And worship Just right there on your knees in the garden, worship the Lord for what He does every day and for what He's going to do and for what He has done in Christ. Seeds and plants, they're previews of the resurrection to come. But the question remains, still in our text, the question remains, what will our bodies be like when that day happens? When we are resurrected, what will our bodies be like? And one of the things that the text tells us is our bodies will be the same, but also different. In the resurrection, when we have resurrected bodies, the bodies that we will have for all eternity will be in some ways the same as the bodies we have now, but in other ways different from the bodies that we have now. Let's take those in turn. First, there are ways in which our resurrection bodies, our eternal bodies, will be the same as the bodies that we have now. There are some ways. First, it will be an actual body. You will spend eternity with a physical body. 
We have physical bodies now, right? We can touch them. We can smell them. We can do all kinds of things. We can, we can feel our bodies, and our bodies have physical space, and our bodies have physical consequences when they move around. You will have a physical body for all eternity. The Bible tells us that. Did you know that? We will not spend eternity as disembodied spirits floating on the clouds or whatever. I'm not sure where that idea crept in from, but it's not biblical. We will have physical bodies for all eternity. Now, right now, all those who have passed away are in what we call an intermediate state. They're in an intermediate state. They are disembodied souls. You go to a funeral, you see the body laying there, you can tell right away. The soul is gone, the body is left behind. We bury the body, but the soul continues on. Everyone who has passed away at this point are in what we call an intermediate state. They are a disembodied soul awaiting the, the uniting, the reuniting of their soul to their resurrected body. But right now they don't have a body. Right now, they're in an intermediate state, but it's intermediate. That's not the way it's going to play out for all eternity. It's a waiting period, a waiting area, if you will. Interestingly enough, there are perhaps three people in heaven right now who have physical bodies. Perhaps three. Can you name all three? You know your Bibles? There are perhaps three people who have physical bodies in heaven right now. We know one for sure. Jesus, right? Jesus has his physical body. He ascended to heaven with his physical body. There are, there are all these disembodied souls up there, but can you name the other two? In the Old Testament, there were two men that God took away and they never experienced death. They are Enoch and Elijah. Enoch and Elijah never experienced death. God took them away without them ever having to die. Amazing. Like, oh, if that could happen to all of us, right? God just take us away. We'd never have to experience death. But it's kind of weird when you think about it, right? There's this intermediate state, especially up in the the paradise place where all of the people who are saved are waiting, right? All the people who have died in Christ. There's all these disembodied souls, and there might be three people with physical bodies, and the rest of them are just disembodied. So it's kind of weird to think about. But think about this. Not only will we have physical bodies, we will spend eternity in a physical place. Eternity will be a physical place, not a spiritual, ethereal, cloud, orb kind of place that that we we can't really comprehend right now. Eternity is going to be a physical place. We will spend eternity on earth, actually. The Bible tells us we will spend eternity not away up there somewhere in the clouds, but on earth. Listen to these texts. Revelation 21.1 John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. more." Revelation 21.1. And Isaiah 65.17, it says, For behold, this is God talking, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Remember the very beginning of the Bible. What's it say? In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. What does that mean? The heavens and the earth. It means in the beginning, God created what's above us and what's below us. He created everything in the sky, the universe that you see, the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, and he created everything above us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 65, 17, behold, God says, I create a new heavens and a new earth. New heavens and a new earth. There will be a new, a renewed place where we are living with heavens above us and earth Below, physical earth. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting... 
for new heavens and a new earth which righteous, in which righteousness dwells. And think about Jesus in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the meek. Why? For they will inherit what? The earth. The earth. We're not going to spend eternity floating on clouds. We're going to spend eternity on a new earth. And I would argue from places like 2 Peter, it's going to be this earth renewed. It's going to be this earth recreated. This earth purified by fire and made new. You think, Jesus actually said in, in John 14 to the apostles, I go away to prepare a place for you. And when I return, I will get you and take you to be with me there. And you think, well, that, that, that's away from here. So how does that work? Well, in Revelation 21 there, John's vision, 21.2 says, Then I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. The new Jerusalem, the new city of God coming down from heaven to the earth. We will spend eternity with physical bodies in a physical place. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a lot more exciting of a thing to look forward to than some spiritual floating around on the clouds kind of existence that that I always kind of had in my head when I was growing up. Now, one of the amazing things about all of this, one of the absolutely amazing things about all this is that Jesus will keep his body for all eternity. Now, I think this is one of the most amazing truths in all of Scripture. Jesus is going to keep his body for all eternity. The reason this is so amazing is because the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the eternal Word, as John describes him in John 1.1, he existed from all eternity past and never had a body until he became Jesus, right? The eternal Word, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became Jesus of Nazareth, and took on human flesh, and took on a body. But what I would have expected was for that eternal God to come down here, grab a body, do what he needed to do, and then throw it off, and then go back to being the glorified spirit that he was. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus keeps his body for all eternity. In fact, he keeps his scars Jesus has a resurrected, glorified body, but he still has the scars, which is a beautiful truth that we need to always remind ourselves of. But Jesus keeps his body for all eternity. What's amazing is he doesn't throw it aside once he's done with it. It's an amazing honor that God has given human beings that Jesus will keep his body for all eternity. Dualism says all this this physical stuff is bad and the spiritual is good. And Jesus says, no, I'm keeping that body. For all eternity, I'm keeping my physical body, which grew in the womb of young Mary. In fact, Jesus even continues to refer to himself in earthly terms. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting his conversion on the road to Damascus. He said he was blinded by this light. And Paul cries out in Acts 22, 8, Who are you, Lord? And what does Jesus say? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He's still Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, when Jesus started telling everyone he was from Nazareth, people were like, Nathaniel, before Jesus called him, Nathaniel said, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus even now refers to himself as Jesus of Nazareth in earthly terms. At first, it seems like this stuff shouldn't matter anymore. And yet Jesus remains tied to this world. He remains human. It's one of the most amazing things in all of Scripture to me. When Jesus rose, we talk about our resurrection bodies. Let's get back to that for a second. 
When Jesus rose, his body was the same in a number of ways as the body he had previously. There was a number of ways in which his body, after he rose, was the same as the body he had before he went to the cross. And it's a preview. Jesus' glorified body is a preview of the bodies that we will have once we are resurrected. Think about what Jesus did after he was resurrected. Jesus could be touched. Jesus says to Thomas, touch the wounds. Place your hand here, right? Jesus' body could be touched after he was resurrected. It's not just a a vision that people were having that Jesus made it look like he has a body. No, it was real. It could be touched. Jesus ate food after he was resurrected. He had a breakfast of fish on the beach with his disciples. Did he have to eat? Probably not. But he does so to share that meal with them, and he actually eats himself. People could recognize Jesus after he rose from the grave. There were times where people didn't recognize him at first. I think there's a lot of good explanations for those times. But people could recognize him, and they did recognize him. There were some similarities. There was a kind of continuity between Jesus' body before death and Jesus' body after the resurrection. In the same way, there will be a kind of continuity between our bodies that we have now and the glorified body that we will have for eternity. I mean, think about the fact that we are not given an entirely new body during the resurrection. This body is resurrected. Right? God could have just skipped the resurrection altogether and said, I'm going to give you new bodies, right? brand new bodies. And if he did that, there's no need for a resurrection. I'm just going to give you new bodies. But no, there's a resurrection of all of us. It's this body that's going to be resurrected, and it will be transformed, and it will be changed. Look at verse 51. 51 will cover probably next week, but verse 51 in chapter 15, it says, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's what he's talking about. When our bodies are resurrected, they will be changed, transformed. And so that's a good lead-in to talk about how will our bodies be different. In the resurrection, how will our bodies be different? They'll be the same in some ways as these, but how will our resurrected, glorified bodies be different from the ones we have now? Specifically, Paul covers this in verses 42 through 44. He gives us four different ways that our resurrected bodies will be different from our bodies that we have now. Look at verse 42. He says, in verse 42, what is sown, there's that seed language again, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Perishable versus imperishable. The body that you have now is perishable. These bodies will die. Death comes to us all. We all have to face up to our mortality. This thing that we we are living in won't last forever. But he says it is raised imperishable. In other words, never to die again. The bodies that we will have for all eternity will last forever. No decay, no getting old. See, eternal life is a wonderful promise in that way. That we will have bodies that will last forever. Think of all the things that you would like to do on this earth, but you probably won't. Think of all the things that you would like to do during your time on this earth, and yet when you are realistic, you say, I probably will never get to do that. I'll never get around to that. I don't have time for that. I don't have the skills for that. We're finite. We are limited. Time is limited. There's all this unfinished work, all of these unfulfilled desires, and it creates a heck of a lot of frustration in people all over the world. There are people who have midlife crises because of this stuff, right? But eternal life is a wonderful promise because in the new earth, We will have all the ability and time in the world. 
And so there are desires that we have right now that are going to remain unfulfilled until we die. And yet in heaven, we'll have all the time in the world to do whatever we want. We'll have all the time in the world to accomplish the things we could never accomplish, to invest in the things we could never invest in, to develop talents that we never had, to learn things that we were never able to learn, to experience things that we were never able to experience. In verse 43, Paul gives us another way that our bodies will be different. He says, It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. And so this earthly body that we have right now, it's sown in dishonor. This earthly body that we have is lowly. It's lowly. Now I know there are some people who have bodies that look amazing to the world, but the rest of us, we're just trying to hide parts of our bodies with certain types of clothing. I think that's why they invented these things called sport coats, right? And even those who are all about showing off their bodies, if they live long enough, there's coming a day where no one's going to want to see that, right? But these bodies that are lowly will be raised in glory. In Philippians 3, starting in verse 20, we read, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Our bodies, for all eternity, will be in perfect physical condition. Wonderful. Glorious. And yet none of us will have the sinful desire to show off our bodies or to think sinful thoughts about the body of someone else. It will all be perfectly pure. It will be great for all eternity. Now, in verse 43, we also see the, the third way that our resurrected body is different from our current body. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. Most of us can probably point to ways that our bodies are failing us. We can point to ways that our bodies are failing us. Every injury, every surgery, every sickness, every pain should make us long for the day when those things will be no more. I, I've talked about this multiple times to people today even. I have a knee problem. I had arthroscopic knee surgery a while back, and it didn't fix what I wanted it to fix. And I had a conversation with the doctor afterward, and the doctor just told me straight up, John, there's a possibility that you might never run again without pain. It's just part of it. And I, I had my little time to sit there and go through the grieving process, you know, but the Lord has blessed me with many, many years of, of running and doing all kinds of things with my knees. But one day I won't have a knee problem. And that makes it fine. One day I won't have a knee problem. Somebody asked me the other day, John, you want to come play ultimate frisbee with us? And I said, I literally can't. I, I physically can't do it. But ask me again in eternity. Ask me again in the new earth. I'll take you up on it, right? I'll be able to. Right? This promise of eternal life is so freeing. It helps us to be content here and now with our finiteness. D.A. Carson, my favorite, perhaps, New Testament scholar, when someone makes a comment to him about his body that gets older and has more injuries and less physical ability, he'll just respond like this and say, there's nothing a good resurrection won't fix. Right? It's so freeing. It helps us to be content. In eternity, we won't have any more of these problems. It won't be weak anymore. It'll be about a body of power. In eternity, those who cannot use their legs will leap and run and feel the joy of it. 
In eternity, those who cannot hear will sit for hours listening to a waterfall or birds or the wind or the sound of laughing or music. In eternity, those who cannot see will see colors more vibrant than anything any of us have ever yet seen. And they will see picturesque landscapes that have never been imagined. In eternity, those who have mental disabilities will think and create and imagine and reason with perfection and skill. And in eternity, those of us who have tried our entire lives to touch the rim will finally dunk a basketball. It's going to be beautiful. And it's so freeing in the here and now to think about that. It's a wonderful promise. But remember, it's only freeing. It's only freeing to those who are in Christ, who have the promise of eternal life instead of eternal frustration. Eternity in hell will be eternal frustration. It will be the exact opposite of that. All of the frustrations of our finiteness, all of the frustrations of our limited abilities on earth, maximized as the greatest frustrations, as the greatest deficiencies, as the greatest emptiness we have ever felt. Don't go there. Throw yourself onto the mercy of Christ and have that promise of eternal paradise. Finally, the the last way that our body will be different, verse 44, it says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Jesus' resurrected body could apparently do things that natural bodies could not. Remember? The, the disciples on Resurrection Day were in a locked room. Apparently they were afraid because Jesus, their leader, was arrested and murdered. That same thing could happen to them. They're in a locked room, scared, not knowing what to do. And all of a sudden, Jesus pops in to that locked room and says, Hello, friends. Right? And they're, they're, they're just freaked out. What in the world? But it's Jesus. It's the Lord. He's here, and he just popped into the room. Might we be able to teleport in the new earth? Right? Like, hey, everyone, I'm going to China. Are you going to fly, or are you going to teleport this time? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's going to be fun, right? What's it going to be like? We don't know. Now, there are all of the, these endless speculations that we might make regarding the new heavens and new earth. But we know for a fact that God will make it the most soul-satisfying, heart-satisfying place and time any of us have ever experienced. And the main reason is not because of all these little perfections that we're going to get to experience. The main reason is because Christ is there. God is there. We will be with Him. We will see Him. See, Jesus died and rose from the grave to make all of this possible. Remember Jesus' words in John 12, 24. We've already read them. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The seed goes into the ground, dies, and springs up with life. Jesus is the death that brings life. Jesus' death was the ultimate death that brings life. Jesus died and rose. And Jesus tells us, what is, he, what, what is He? What does He tell us He is? In John 15, I am the vine, and you are the what? The branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And as branches, we are called to bear fruit. 
And as branches, we are called to scatter more seed. Remember, Jesus tells us, the seed that is sown is the Word of God. The seed that is sown is the Word of God. And for some, the seed falls into fertile soil and is buried in the heart and produces spiritual fruit. So I have to ask each one of you this morning, has the seed of God's Word found fertile soil in your heart? Has the seed of God's Word found fertile soil in your heart? Has God's Word been implanted into your heart and produced spiritual fruit? Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians, one plants, another waters, but only God can give the growth. You can sit in a place like this and we can give you the Word and give you the Word and give you the Word, but only God can give the growth. Has God started growth in the soil of your heart this morning with His Word? Ultimately, in the end, we will be a seed. We will all be a seed that goes into the ground and dies. But up from the earth will sprout new life. The question is, will you resurrect to eternal paradise in the new heavens and new earth or to eternal frustration, to eternal emptiness, to eternal torment. We will all be resurrected. What will you be resurrected to? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with God's Word that is sown, that is thrown out? What kind of soil is it falling on in your heart today? Right now we're going to take some time and we're going to respond back to God from what He has just given to us. His Word has come into our hearts and into our ears and into our minds. What will you do with God's Word? We're going to take this time to pray. We're going to have some moments of silent, reflective prayer where we all go to the Lord and we all respond privately. And then after these moments of prayer, we'll come back and we'll have a time for those who need to to respond publicly to God's Word. So let's pray together.